right, can I get a good morning? Church, okay. That was great. Even without the teens and the parents, we have some energy, I think, this morning. So, the te- as you know, the teens and, and the parents are at Six Flags having probably a great worship service right now, getting ready to go on all the amazing rides. King to Con, this new drop ride, which hangs from King to Con, drops down. Actually, you can see Philly from up there. But anyway, let's not think about that. We're here, right here, right now, ready to worship God. Probably many of us are glad that we aren't on that ride. But anyway, we are going to dive back into the Sermon on the Mount again today. So you can turn with me in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I want to say a few more things about the Sermon on the Mount as we dive back in today. One of which being, I love how radical the Sermon on the Mount is and was. It is, it is timeless. To the religious world and to the secular world in Jesus' day, the Sermon on the Mount was completely and utterly counter-cultural. It was, but it still is today to the secular world and to the religious world as well. The Sermon on the Mount, we can think about it as Jesus' revolution statement, his kingdom manifesto. It is the teaching upon which he began and carries out his revolution. And that's the thing, is that it is so revolutionary. It was and it still is today. And what he tells us, what he tells the world, is that essentially you are flying upside down. You got it all backwards. You got it all wrong. And so what he does by the Sermon on the Mount is he shows us how to fly right side up. Specifically, he says, I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to transform your mind because that's the only way true change can actually happen. And we're going to see that in the Sermon on the Mount today as we look at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. And so last week we talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about that being the statement about the kingdom of God being available to everyone, even the people that didn't seem worthy of blessings. In the kingdom of God, they receive, or we receive, the ultimate supreme blessings. And so he moves from that statement to saying that his disciples, his people, aka agents of the kingdom, are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. The light of the world and the salt of the earth. His disciples, the kingdom agents, are salt and light to the world, a.k.a. dual-purposed. Dual-purposed. So let's dive in here as we look at Matthew 5, verse 13. My first point being, salt prevents decay and adds flavor. Salt prevents decay or corruption and adds flavor. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So Jesus tells his disciples right here, that they are 
the salt of the earth. That means that they cleanse, preserve, and flavor the times through which they live. In other words, they keep out corruption, decay, and deterioration. I mean, that is awesome. And think about that role for their lives and that role for our lives here on this earth. To keep out that which destroys. That was and still is part of our purpose as disciples. What a need during their time and what a need during our time today as well. And then he goes on to say, but if you lose that saltiness, what happens? You won't be good for anything. You won't be useful. You'll be thrown out and trampled on because you will be no different from the world. In fact, you'll actually be adding to the corruption, promoting corruption. So it seems like a very strong statement, and it is, but it's a strong statement for a reason. As disciples, we can't be adding to corruption. We have to be preventing that corruption from happening. One commentator said this, the Christian, the Christian must be the cleansing antiseptic in any society in which he happens to be. He must be the person who by his presence defeats corruption and makes it easier for others to be good just by their presence that's what it needs to be like to be around us that we just make it easier for people to be good but there's another part of the salt that Jesus was likely referring to as he tells his disciples that there's the salt of the earth and that was and is they were to add flavoring to the earth they were to diffuse life and radiate joy Jesus was speaking to a people who lived in a depressed, oppressed, and worried world. The follower of Jesus was to have nothing of that. They were to be literally the spice of life. Now, we can easily miss that message today because when I talk about things like being salty, right, we think about, oh, you know, the person's salty, they're in, they're in a bad mood, they're a grumpy person. But we can also miss the point because salt or sodium just gets a bad rap today, right? When we talk about how we really should be cutting down on our sodium or our salt intake, and that's due to the overconsumption of salt, and I'm not going to go on my you know, health rant here, although I will say I think it is important to remember that regardless of the overconsumption of salt, we need to realize that sodium is a necessary mineral for life. I mean, it is essential. It's an electrolyte, which actually helps nerves and muscles to function properly and is essential for the regulation of water content and body organs, fluid balance. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. And, and let's be honest. Let's not forget how good salt tastes. Can I get an amen from the church about that? See, you guys, you guys know. You guys like to eat. Um, and, and I know that we have some sweet and salty fans in here, right? Can we get some sweet and salty fans? No? Okay, just in case. I'm with you, Salim. Um, and I was just, I was thinking about this, uh, this week because I, I tend to salt my food. I, I tend to add salt to my food. It just tastes a lot better, uh, I think anyway. And so we had friends over this week and we were putting together a meal for them. We, I'd made some rice in the rice cooker and some Brussels sprouts and they had to leave really quickly. So I had to put together a plate and just send them on their way. And I felt so bad after the fact because I forgot to salt the Brussels sprouts. 
I sent these poor people on their way with unsalted Brussels sprouts. Have you ever had unsalted Brussels sprouts, brothers and sisters? Don't do it. Don't let yourself do it. It just doesn't taste nearly as good without salt. Amen. Okay. I think you're with me on that. But we also need to remember that it, it, it is a great preservative. It prevents the growth of microorganisms that destroy food. It just, if you don't have that preservative in food, it just leads to decay and corruption, and it's just a bad situation. And I will never forget, and I'm only going to go so far with this story, and you'll thank me later, but... Uh, my grandparents live in upstate New York. In fact, the town right next to the town that I grew up in is where my, my grandparents live. And they live right across the street from the Susquehanna River. And there was one summer, this was years ago, they had a ton of rain in the summer, a ton of rain that summer. So much so that the Susquehanna River spilled over the road and into their yard, destroyed their crops uh, that summer, destroyed a, a big portion of their yard and got into their basement. And the water levels got so high that in their basement was almost up to the ceiling. And after the waters receded, of course, we got, I got called in to go and help clean out the basement. They had a number of, of really important good things in their basement, one of which being a freezer that was full of meat that didn't have preservatives in it. And I remember my uncle and I going downstairs, and we were sorting through things, and then we were looking at the freezer, and I was like, you got it. And he's like, no, you got it. So we're like, okay, let's try this together. We opened up the freezer, and I'm telling you, I mean, it about hit me and knocked me on the floor, and that is not an exaggeration. It was absolutely and utterly disgusting. And that's all I really want to say about it, because I don't want to think about it anymore, and I know you don't want to hear more about it. It was just bad, but that's, the, that's what happens when things aren't preserved or when there aren't preservatives in things that can corrupt. And that's the reality of this world. This world needs preservatives. There is so much corruption and decay happening in this world. But church, some of us in here have lost our preservation qualities our ability to preserve and eliminate that which decays. And what's scary is that some of us don't even realize that Jesus is talking to us when he says, don't lose your saltiness. Because, why? Because you will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If, a salt, if salt loses saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. Jesus is talking to us. We have got to Remember that. We've got to stop blending into the world. There are just some news stories as of late that have been really discouraging. I mean, really discouraging. And I think one of the, the more recent situations, and there's one case, but really it's a, it's a bigger deal, is the sexual harassment stuff. I mean, there, there are stories after stories after stories about sexual harassment taking place in workplaces uh, from, men, from men who have position of power. But let's also consider the sexual harassment and, a sexual, and sexual assault issues 
on our college campuses across the country. While I was at Indiana, I had an opportunity to do some research in this area, and one of the statistics I came across just blew me away. They estimate that about one in four women on campuses, by the time they're through their college career, will be sexually assaulted. One in four, 25%. That is a scary statistic. That is a problem. And we need to realize that that starts somewhere, right? That starts in our minds and in our hearts. And guys, we have to remember that we are a part of that. And we need to not be a part of that. And fortunately, we can be leaders in this area in helping the world to understand how to view women, how to view sex, how to approach these situations, and how to show men not to go there. How to look at women with eyes of love, not with eyes of lust. Again, I want to say it again. We can be and should be leaders in this area. We need to be preventing these issues from happening. We need to destroy sin at the root. Help the world to see what's wrong with it. Cut it off. We need to put it to death. If we've lost our saltiness, we need to become salty again, but the good kind of salty. We need to stand strong, keep out the corruption. And honestly, we just need to be radical about this. We need to study these things out in our Bibles. We need to look at Jesus and see how he approached life and imitate that. We need to be constantly praying about these things in our lives. We need to help each other be salty. We need to be in each other's lives, helping each other to keep the salt about us. But honestly, some of us just aren't listening to each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to actively look for help. We need to look beyond our pride and look for help from other people. I want to say this to the young Christians. You should be seriously and actively looking for older, deeply spiritual Christians to mentor you, to be in your life, to help you along, to show you the way, to imitate Jesus. You should be, you should be looking for that. You should be actively, actively seeking that out on a weekly basis. Guys, we need to wake up. We need to get serious. We need to remember who we are in Jesus and who we are to be to the world because the world desperately needs it. And I'll also say, you know, the other part of salt that we need to think about is just the flavor that we can add to the world. I mean, just the pure and utter joy of being a Christian. But some of us have lost our joy of just being a disciple. And, And we make it about other things like relationships or status or what we have or whatever the case may be, and that robs us of our joy and who we are and honestly, it just makes Christianity look unattractive. We, we, we need to be not just trying to make Christianity look attractive. We need to show the world for Christianity, showing it for what it is. The most amazing life that you could possibly live. And Jesus gives us an amazing, a- amazing identity here as being the salt of the earth. I mean, he's talking, that's an identity statement. 
You are to, to prevent corruption, but you're also to be the flavor of the world, joy to the world. He knows how badly our world needs it. So let's get back to connecting with Jesus. That he's our Messiah and our Lord, but also that he's the smartest, the greatest, the most amazing man in any facet of life. Any type of career that you have, anywhere you find yourself, Jesus is the best at that. And we need to see him for who he is and remember that that's the source of our joy, the true light of the world. And that's what Jesus tells us. He tells us that we're not only to prevent decay and add flavor to the world, we have to be a light to the world as well, light that cuts through darkness and radiates goodness in the world. So let's continue on in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. My second point, light cuts through darkness and radiates goodness. In verse 14, Jesus continues on. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Another powerful statement by Jesus. He, he goes from, you're the salt of the earth, to you are literally the light of the world. <clears throat> and he doesn't even just say, you need to go out and be the light. He says, you are the light of the world. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to guys who were basically nobodies. I mean, these people had no... High social standing, according to the world's standards. And he's looking at them and he says, you are the light of the world. As kingdom people, as my followers, you are the light of the world. I mean, what an identity. What an identity he was giving these guys. And he gives us. <clears throat> and he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And as he said that, I'm sure that in their minds they saw a vision of Jerusalem and what Jerusalem was supposed to be. Because Jerusalem is a, a city or a town built on a hill. And Jerusalem was supposed to be, the Jews were supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. And so that, that's what they had in their minds. But Jesus is saying, but you are the light of the world. And then he says, with your light, don't put it under a bowl. Don't put it out. Why would you do that? No one would ever do that. That's not the purpose of the light. He says, with your light, let it shine. That's its purpose, <clears throat> to eliminate the darkness and allow people to see the good. He goes on to say that when we do this, when they do this to please God for that purpose in and of itself, as they go out and do good, the result will be praising and glorifying God in heaven. That's what we want. We don't, we don't do good things. We're not the light of the world to bring attention to us. No, it's to glorify God. <clears throat> One commentator said this, So then Christianity is something which is meant to be seen. As someone has well said, there can be no such thing as secret discipleship. And I love this. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. 
a man's Christianity should be perfectly visible to all men. All men should see our Christianity. And again, it, you might be flashing, flashing forward in the Sermon on the Mount, but wait, doesn't Jesus tell us to not do all these things in front of people? Yeah, he does, but for the purpose of people glorifying us. We're not to do that. We're not to do those, those kind of good deeds. We're supposed to do it to give God the glory for that reason. <clears throat> I don't know if you're like me, but I love to look at the night sky. And I've spent <clears throat> many a nights, especially as I lived upstate, uh, just sitting out underneath the skies, just marveling at God's creation. And one of my favorite things to look at is the moon. The moon, I think, is so cool. <clears throat> and if we think about it, the, the moon is the second brightest regularly visible object in the earth's sky after the sun. It's that bright. I mean, it's such an amazing thing to look at. Thank you, Efren. Good timing. <clears throat> but <clears throat> many of us probably don't realize this, but the surface of the moon is actually dark. But we would never know that because we, ne we never look at it in the dark. I mean, that would be weird, but it's, it's, it's actually dark in and of itself. <clears throat> what I think is so cool is that the moon is actually made of rock that is able to reflect light. It's, it's actually made of that type of rock. But it's not bright. It doesn't light up in and of itself. <clears throat> it only lights up when it's affected by the sun, which is so cool. I mean, I, I, mean, I think that's cool anyway. And it becomes so bright because of the sun that it's able to light up dark areas. It's able to light up dark fields, perhaps dark alleys. I don't, maybe that could happen. I've, I've never seen that happen. But dark streets, I mean, the moon can become so bright because of the sun. And that's exactly how it is with us. We have to remember that Jesus is saying, you're the light of the world, <clears throat> but only to the extent that which we're connected with the Son, that being Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And so we need to understand that apart from him, we are dark. We're just, we're dark. But just like the moon, apart from the sun, is dark. And when Jesus is shining on us, we are filled with and reflect that light for all to see, not for our glory, but for his. And that's how it is, I think, <clears throat> with many people here in the Hudson Valley. One person in particular that I think of, well, a couple anyway, are uh, <clears throat> Salim and Sapora, And uh, they, they, to me, they're just a bright light. Um, I, you know, I, I've gotten to know Salim and Sapporo a lot more since we've been back uh, these last few months, and it's really been a joy to get to, get to know them more. And <clears throat> I, I talk to Salim and connect with Salim on a weekly basis, and a lot of it revolves around the e-bulletin, and sometimes he doesn't want to hear from me, but I'm like, hey, Salim, we got to, you know, we got to, uh, take care of this. We got to do this. But Salim is always so eager to help. He's always so eager 
to, to serve and to do good. And we've had lots of different conversations at different points, like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about this, and um, I, I want to work on this, you know, in my life. And, and, and it, he's just is a bright light. And I so appreciate your friendship and the bright light that you are in the Hudson Valley. And there, there are many others, but we have to be like that. And we have to be like that for each other, but we need to be like that for the world.